and uh, let's have a quick word of prayer before we get started. Um, Heavenly Fathers, we just come to you now as, as always, Lord. We just want to give you all thanks. Lord, our nation, just our men and women serving in the military, for your hand of safety to be upon them. And Lord, for your favor to be upon this uh, heart and bill. Lord, we just pray that we would be a church and also individuals that are truly seeking you, Lord, in all ways and all things. And as we just take this time now to get into your word and also just prepare our hearts for communion, lift this up in your name. Amen. Quick reminder, uh, I got an email this morning. Teen event where the teens are going to be going to the nursing home on February 4th. That has been postponed. So the teens going to the nursing home on February 4th has been postponed. And just a quick reminder after service today, take a look at those sign-up sheets back there to the right for heart-to-heart -heart dinner with Dad. Uh, as always, any time to help clean the church, always a blessing to get involved. All right, so we're going to be in Romans chapter 10 this morning, continuing our study here through the book of Romans. Now, what we've been talking about the last few weeks here in Romans, we've talked about how Romans 9, 10, and 11 kind of form this little subject within a subject in the book of Romans. And it's this idea of the gospel message and Israel rejecting the gospel Israel wanting to earn salvation on their own when God says it's by the Lord and by the Lord alone. And that's what we're going to continue on with today. And the verses that we left off last week was found in verse 3. It says, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness. There's that phrase. They were seeking to establish their own righteousness. They wanted to make themselves right in the eyes of God. Boy, we can't do that on our own. As we've said out here numerous times, if we could do it on our own... Why would Jesus have to die on the cross for our sins? The only way we can become righteous, and that's just a big fancy word that just means to be made right with God. The only way we can be right with God is through Jesus Christ. Now, I'm assuming most of us here would probably agree with that. That most of us here would probably agree, I, I can't earn my way into heaven. No matter how much good I do, I'm still a sinner. We talked about this back previously in Romans 5, how we're born sinners, we choose to be sinners, and we inherit sin. We have three strikes against us right from the beginning. The only way we can ever experience salvation is through Jesus Christ. Now, before that sounds like some type of mean thing that God has imposed on us, he also gave us love by giving us Christ as the penalty for that sin. So therefore, the sin can also be taken care of. And so therefore, I may have three strikes against me. I also have a God that loves me, a Savior that died for me. So when it comes to salvation, I accept the fact that I can't earn it. I accept the fact I can't do it on my own. I got that. But, this is what I think we struggle with a lot of times as Christians, is that we can earn God's goodness in our life, as we've talked about numerous times. If I just pray more, God has to say yes. If I just read extra in my Bible, God has to say yes. If I just serve more at church, God will just bless me. If I just do these things, God will look down from heaven and say, well, I have to give James a good day because look at how much he read today. Look how much he prayed today. My goodness, he served in the nursery. He deserves something out of that. And we almost have this expectation that when I do something, God then owes me. Well, that's a scary thought. That God owes us? God owes us nothing. And I'm telling you right now, and these are points that we've said previously, so just bear with me as we lay this foundation. There is nothing in us that God says, I need. Too often we start thinking, the Lord saved me because I'm the only one that could be a light and a witness to my family. God saved me because obviously he needed help at church in that area. God saved me because he knew I'd be really great at worship or really great at teaching or really great at serving. So he saw something in me and he said, I can use that. So therefore he saved me and that's my purpose. There is nothing redeemable in you in any way whatsoever. That's the purpose of grace. If there was something in you that God said I could use, then it means you were saved by works. The truth is, when God looked at us, we're just sinners. 
We're just sinners full of sin. And God said, I love you so much, I still want to send my son down to die for you. And I can't make it on my own, hence verse 3. I can't establish my own righteousness. I can't do it. But through Jesus Christ, I can. Here's the problem. Let's say you try to go the route of wanting to do it on your own. And I know people like that. You know people like that. That they have convinced themselves that uh, if they just do more good than bad, that they'll be okay. They have convinced themselves that as long as they dot their I's and cross their T's spiritually, they're going to get into heaven because obviously good people make it into heaven. So let's say you want to go that route of your own. Well, the problem is, look at verse 4. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses wrote about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. So basically what Paul is saying in verses 4 and 5 is if you want to do it on your own, go ahead and try to do it on your own. Problem is, verse 5, you've got to do everything on your own. Absolutely everything. Every I has to be dotted, every T has to be crossed. Verse 5, you have to live the perfect life. The man who does these things shall live by them, meaning that you have to do absolutely everything. Now, come on. All of us sitting here this morning, all of us sitting here this morning, I would assume, would admit, we have sinned at least once in our life. I would assume. Have you ever met anybody that has admitted that thinks they have not sinned? I've met one person in my life, and I'm not exaggerating, that they think that they have done nothing wrong. And if it wasn't such a serious thing, it would be laughable. And if I was feeling a little more feisty, you wouldn't say, well, you just did something wrong because you just lied. You know what I mean? You just said you didn't, but you did. He had convinced himself that he has not done anything wrong. He felt that he's lived the perfect life. Everybody else I've ever run into accepts the fact that they're not perfect. Well, here's the way it works with God, is if you do one wrong thing, you're out. It's one and done. Once again, that's not mean. See, the problem is we sit here and say, well, that's just not fair. That's not right. No, not fair, not right would be one and done, and I'm not giving you another opportunity. Aren't you thankful that God's a God of second chances? And some of you here today are not only your second chance, you're on your third, your fourth, your fifth, whatever. It's not the beauty of grace. It's not our righteousness. It's the Lord. And which takes us to our key word that we need to talk about here is verse 6. The righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. See, it's faith. It's faith. That's where it all comes down to. It's not by what I do. See, Paul's hinting here in verse 6 and 7. There's people who think they can still do it. Well, look at verse 6. Well, I'll just ascend into heaven to bring Christ down. Verse 7, I'll descend into the abyss and I'll try to bring Christ up. I'm going to do this. I can do it on my own. And I think for the last two weeks we've made this point, so forgive me for the repetition, is we can't do it on our own. We always think we can do it on our own. I can fix my marriage. I can fix my kids. I can heal this. I can take care of this. I can do it. No, you can't. If you could take care of those things, if you could bring peace to your house, peace to your family, peace to your workplace, peace to your life, once again, why did Christ have to die on the cross? We can't do it. We can't bring anything into a fixable solution. But we still think we can. We think, verse 6, that I can ascend into heaven to bring Christ down. Verse 7, I can descend into the abyss to bring him up. I, I can take care of this. I shared with you the story last week, and I'll just repeat it one more time, that there was this big situation that I was facing a week or so ago. Huge. And it was one of those where I was praying, and as soon as I was praying and the words were coming out of my mouth, I felt convicted and felt guilty. I said, Lord... I really need you on this one. Basically saying, I can handle all the other things, but Lord, this one, this one is bigger than me. I need you on this one, implying that, well, Lord, if I can handle everything else. Why? What a prideful thought. That, Lord, I got these. I got the little ones. God, I won't bother you with the little things. 
I can take care of the little things. Oh, I know this marriage counseling situation. I can take care of this one, Lord. I, want, I don't need to pray about it. This lesson, I've taught over this chapter numerous times. Lord, I got this one. You just, you just take a Sabbath today, Lord. I got it. What, what a prideful thing to think that we have certain things. We've taken care of it that we got it done. I tell you, the verse that just keeps coming back to my mind, if this is what you remember today, then this is good. It's 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And that word cares, it means big cares, little cares, all the way in between. But there's personalities out there that think either A, I don't want to bother God with it, or B, I, I can do it on my own. That's a dangerous place to be. Not to be repetitious to the point of being annoying, but if you could do it on your own, what's the purpose of Jesus? So therefore, I can't, verse 6, ascend. I can't, verse 7, descend. I can't do it. It has to be the Lord. He's my help when I need him. Now, some of you may be thinking, if God's my help when I need him, then where is he? Well, look here real quick at verse 8. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. You realize God's near you? He's always near you. Now, now what are you thinking as soon as I say that, depending on what mood you're in? If, if you're in a good place spiritually, you're, you're hopefully quietly saying amen. Some of you are probably doodling. Some of you are probably asleep. You know, some of you are in that other part. Some of you right now are not in a good place spiritually, and you hear that phrase that God is near you, he's there to help you, and you're thinking, yeah, right. Now, you may not verbalize that because we all want to look like we have it all together when we walk in this building. But if God is near me, why is this happening in my life? Here's the thing. I get a lot of phone calls. I get a lot of people that pop into my office, and their life is not where it's supposed to be. Your life is falling apart. There's no way around that. So we sit there and we talk about it, and I talk about how the Lord cares, the Lord is there, etc. And this is what they say, almost to a T. I don't feel him. I know you say the Lord is near, but I just don't feel like he's near. And I usually say at that point, aren't you glad our relationship with Christ is not based on feelings? Because some days I don't feel like I'm a husband. I don't feel like a pastor. I don't feel like a father. Some days I don't even feel like a Christian. Does that mean when I don't feel like any of those things, all of a sudden it's done? All of a sudden I'm no longer a husband? All of a sudden my kids just disappear. I'm not a father? All of a sudden I'm no longer a pastor of a church? All of a sudden I'm not a Christian? No, my relationship with Christ is not based on feelings. My relationship with Christ is based on faith. So when I don't feel him, it's not a feeling problem. It's a faith problem. If you're taking notes, write down this verse, James 4.8. James 4.8. Listen to this verse, the simplicity of this. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Don't you love that simplistic? Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. How simple is that? So what happens a lot of times is we start talking to people, and they say, well, I don't feel God, which leads me to my follow-up question. Well, how are you doing spiritually? You know what everybody answers? Not good. How's the time of prayer going? I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, mean, I pray for my wife. I pray for my kids. I mean, I, I pray, but I really don't have that time of prayer. Okay, How's time of the Word going? I mean, not, not really good. I haven't seen you at church a lot. I know I need to get back into that. So it's amazing then that if we're not drawing near to God, we're shocked that we feel empty. I'm not saying this to pick on anybody. And I'm not saying this to attack anybody because you know what? The truth of the matter is there's been times in my spiritual walk where I felt very empty too. Because sometimes I go through the motions just like everybody else. And I have to stop myself and say, wait a second. Lord, I, I don't want to study just to prepare a message. I don't want to pray with people just because that's my job. Lord, I don't want to just show up at church because I have to. <laughs> I have to. I want to because I want it. I want to draw near to you because I realize if I'm not drawing near to you in my life, then my life will feel empty, my marriage will feel empty, my relationships with others will feel empty, and there will be an emptiness in my life. We have to plant seeds into our relationship with Christ. 
All the time it happens is, why do we pray? Why do we read? Why do we go to church? Why? Because you're planting seeds into your relationship with the Lord, so therefore you're drawing near to Him. So that way, when you face a trial or tribulation in life, which is, is inevitable, you will face one, you have a closeness to God that gets you through that storm of life. So you're planting seeds in the good times to realize that the bad times will come, and you can say, okay, now, Lord, when that trial comes, I can cling to you, I can hold to you, because I have done this. But... If we choose not to do that, there will always be a spiritual emptiness. And the same thing with life and marriage. I tell people all the time, plant seeds into your marriage. If you're not planting seeds into your marriage, how do you expect to grow closer to your spouse? Or planting seeds into your family, how do you expect to grow closer to your kids? Or if you want to be a light and a witness, plant seeds into ministry of, of, of sharing Christ. If not, how do you expect things to grow? It takes effort. And I think what happens in Christianity today, there's a little phrase I like to use called cotton candy Christianity. People like to show up and the only thing they want to hear is that God loves them. Okay, so I'll check that off. God loves you guys. But you're also sinners. Not all of you, but most of you. So you have to remember, God loves us. But there's also the sin problem that has to be dealt with. So that's, that's the flip side. God loves me, but I'm also a sinner that has to be dealt with. The next thing is we don't want to hear anything that's going to bring us down. So you can't mention trials and tribulation and difficult days, so we just want to sit up here and promise you that everything will be good. That's not fact. Just doing devotions with, with the kids the other day. And I was really surprised. It's a kid's devotion. And one of the verses, if you've read most kids' devotions, they usually just hit the same topics again. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, which is good. But it went to John 16, which is, in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And I thought, what a great point to ingrain into your kids even while they're young. There are dark, difficult days in life, but God gets you through those times. It was a rough night last night at the Irvin House. Um, just the boys just kept coming in, just kept coming in. And so Judah came in the first time, it was around 3 o'clock, and Judah came in and he said something about, can you, you know, I can't sleep. And I said, okay, you know, well, what are we going to do about this? He goes, can I sleep with you? Now, Dawn and I have a full-size bed, so there's not a lot of space, not a lot of space. And so Dawn doesn't like the kids coming into bed, which is understandable. And so therefore I said, no, you know, meanie here won't let you in. I was past the buck. Um, <laughs> I usually say, like, boy, I love you so much, Judah. I want you to, but you know. Anyway, so I said, I said you can't. So go back. I said, I'll come check on you. I, I just pick a random time. I'll, I'll check on you in 20 minutes. But 20 minutes later, guess who's back? Judah. He said you'd check on me in 20 minutes. And I'm thinking, yeah, I didn't think you'd be awake. Um, so I said, I said, okay, come on. He goes, can you come tuck me in? Yeah, I can come tuck you in. So I tuck you in. He goes, Dad, he goes, I'm scared. Now, I know when he's scared and when he's not scared. I'm not mean, Dad. So I, I said, you're fine. I said, you got Kenan with you. you got Elias with you. The night lights on. He goes, can you sleep with me? Now, they have a twin bed with three already in there. And I've already done that before where there's three and a twin. That is not a fun day in Whoville. I'll tell you that right now. Point I was, I, I said, listen, you're going to be okay. And I said, what does Matthew 10:31 say? And Judah says, Jesus said, don't be afraid. I said, there's nothing to be afraid of. God is with you. I'm across the hall, Elias is here, Kenan's here, let's pray, and it's time to go back to bed. Now, the reason I mention this story is because we're trying to ingrain into them at a young time. Jesus said, don't be afraid. My words return void. Come on, parents, we make empty promises all the time. It's going to be okay. Sometimes it's not. Don't worry, it won't hurt. It will hurt. We lie, we do. But Jesus said, don't be afraid. So if anything I can do to my kids is to ingrain into them, during the dark times of life, this is where you need God. 
And this is why during the good times of life, we thank God for feeling good. We thank God for the strength that he gives because there's going to be times when we're sick. There's going to be times when we're hurting. And Lord, help us through those dark times. We plant seeds in the good times to be prepared for the bad times. It all comes down to what? Faith. Faith. This is what I want to finish with. Can you go to Ephesians, please? Ephesians chapter 2. This is a verse that we've gone through many times here in our study through Romans. But it bears repeating. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 10 of Ephesians chapter 2 has everything you need to know about our past life, our salvation, and what we're supposed to do now as we walk with Christ. And it's all centered around faith. It's all centered around faith. It says here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you, he, meaning God, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. That's three verses to basically say we're sinners. Verse 1, I was dead. Dead in trespasses, dead in sin. Verse 2, I walked according to the world. I did what I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted. Verse 3, I was in lust of the flesh. I just did what I desired. That's my pre-Christ time. That's what I was. Just walking in sin and filth and flesh. And I didn't think anything about it. Some of you may be in that spot right now, and you're kind of thinking, what's the big deal? Because go back to that first verse. You don't realize it. I didn't realize it. You're dead. You're a spiritual zombie. You're dead. You think you're alive. You think you're enjoying life. You think everything's fine, but you're dead. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy. Remember, mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. I deserve hell because of my sin, but because of his mercy, he loves me, and he sent Jesus down because of his look, great love, because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, which we've covered, made us alive. I was spiritually dead, and now I'm made alive in Christ, together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Grace, God giving us something that we don't deserve. I don't deserve salvation. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve eternity with him. But by grace I have it, verse 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's all through Jesus. Verses 8 and 9 are the key, though. For by grace, which we've covered, you have been saved, look, through faith. See, it all comes down to faith. I, you know, I used to struggle with this as a Christian, that I had to prove to people God existed. I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. Romans 1 tells me that nature, creation, is enough to show that God exists. I used to struggle with the fact that when someone came to me in depression and discouragement, it was my responsibility to get them out of that. That's not my responsibility. It's my responsibility to point you towards Jesus that will take that depression off your shoulders. I used to struggle with the fact that when someone came in and their life, their marriage, their kids were falling apart and they're basically laying it at my feet saying, Pastor, fix this. I can't fix that. I can point you towards the answers of Christ, but it's going to take effort on your part and it's going to take the Holy Spirit working in your lives. Why? Because as it comes down to verse 8, you're saved by grace through faith. It does not say, you, for by James you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through harvest. It doesn't say that. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And look at verse 8. It's not of yourselves. It's not of you. It has nothing to do with you. One translation actually puts it this way. You can't take credit for it. There's nothing that you have done to earn this salvation. There's nothing you have done to show you're worthy. There's nothing you can do to fix your life, your marriage, your kids, your witness, your anything. You can't do it. 
It is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And just to make the point clear in verse 9, it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Have you ever heard a Christian boast, but they act like they're giving credit to God? I hear it all the time. I was really down in the dumps of drugs and depression and alcoholism, etc. Then I lifted myself up and turned to the Lord. And then I turned to God, and then God helped me through it. And therefore, I've never done that stuff again. There's a lot of eyes in there. Makes it sound like that you just decided one day to quit all that stuff. It's like, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll take just, just a little help. Just a little help. Just, just get me up on my knees, Lord, and I can finish it from here. No way. Don't you think Paul is trying to make a point here in verses 8 and 9? It's not of yourselves. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. The most freeing thing you can do is reach a point in your life where you just stop and say, Lord, I can't do this. I can't. It has to be you. And when you realize it's all him, you finally get verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Once you get the big picture, then that God created me for a purpose, verse 10. I'm his workmanship. I'm created for good works. God has a divine purpose for my life, and that's to go out and serve him and love him. And this is a segue into which we'll talk about next week. That there is a purpose. I'm created for good works for that purpose for him. A lot of times when we look at our lives, we look at our lives so selfishly. Lord, what are you going to do for me? We come into church. What am I going to get out of church? Do you ever think that maybe the reason you're here at church today is to minister to someone else? And we say this example all the time. Why do we do prayer requests on Wednesday nights? We do prayer requests on Wednesday nights so that way when you hear those people expressing their concerns, that hopefully triggers your heart. And so when you hear that person that you don't even know, and they say, my father, this guy diagnosed with cancer, you may not know that person, but you have an opportunity during the break to go over to them and say, listen, I don't know you, but I just want to let you know I'm praying for your dad. And that way when you see that person walk in the hallway at church, you can stop them and say, how's your dad doing? I know that's awkward. That means we have to talk to people we don't know. But... The purpose of church is to give you an opportunity to minister. How great would it be if every Wednesday and Sunday when you walked into this building, you prayed for the message to be blessed in the Lord, let the Spirit speak, pray for the worship to be a time of worship, but you would also come in and you would say, you know, Lord, who can I serve today? Who can I minister today? Who, is, who just needs that encouragement that's sitting by themselves, or I can just tell they're down? Who can I go over and show the love of Christ to? Because I am a workman created by you for a purpose and it's not about me. That totally changes your perspective on Christ. Instead of, Lord, fill me. Lord, help me. It becomes, Lord, who can I help in your name? And as you help other people, you're blessed too. Well, I want to be that workman created in the Lord. Marvin, come forward here for communion. This is why we wanted to finish with communion today. And I appreciate your understanding.